Welcome to episode four of Talking Smack. Episode four, A New Hope. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> a New Hope with uh, a fun topic where we're going to talk about our worst, least favorite, worst, least favorite, whatever terminology you want to use, uh, movies we have seen. We were supposed to try and go see uh, Kingsman, but I'm poor and Alex didn't have time today, so... Yes, I am have poor time management skills. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what you want in a podcast partner. Exactly. So we're going to um, do a theme episode, but we've always start with our news. Very first thing we're going to talk about, it's not a, a talking, smack, blah, 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 talking smack episode. If we don't talk Star Wars, apparently. Ooh. And episode eight is in the can. That's fantastic. That means that they actually might finish it on time. <laughs> <laughs> that means it's done. It is on time. It is ready to be mass-produced and printed. Fun story. I gave Derek a small heart attack when I told him that news yesterday. Uh, I, I guess he's never heard the news in the can. Oh. Uh, or the, the phrase in the can, which, for those of you that don't know, is an old-timey Hollywood phrase when film was actually film and not digital. And it was light-sensitive, so they would literally put it in a can and transport the film that way. Because um, otherwise it would be exposed to UV lights and the film would be ruined. People might remember something similar. If they go into their grandparents' closet and they find these things that were like digital cameras or their phones, but they have this weird flap on the back which you can open and there's this little tiny th- thing which is film that you then put in a little tiny can <laughs> and you would take to this things called a drugstore and you would hand it to the dude over the counter and in four to seven months he would then hand it back to <laughs> four you. to seven months <laughs> oh you know slight uh, exaggeration until walgreens came out with the uh, one hour photo then everyone's like hell yes yes which led to that ro- uh, wonderful robin williams film <laughs> <laughs> where he was worried about ma- slight color miscalculations <laughs> That was was in his dark period. That was a good movie. (laughs) Really weird. What was the other? Was that the Christopher Nolan one or Uh, Christopher Nolan one? No, that was Pacino. uh, That was Insomnia. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Little fun tangent there. Talking about Star Wars, starting to talk about Robin Williams' dark period. Don't know how those two connect, but we got there. It's quite right. Um, What we do now know is that because Star Wars Episode Eight is finished. That means someone out there has access to hack and, le- and leak it for us. You have two months. Please don't disappoint us. We do not. We do not. Oh, God. We do not advocate we, hacking. We do not advocate or endorse piracy on this podcast. The views and expressions uh, said by the guests on this podcast do not reflect the primary host of this show, me, Josh. So, uh, Alex, thanks for your time, and this, thanks for everyone for listening for the three minutes and 30 seconds we've been going. <laughs> I can't carry this thing by myself. <laughs> we'll just edit that part out. Or no, it's staying. It, or no, I, we have plausible deniability. We don't know any hackers. <laughs> My face hurts now. <laughs> I needed that. But yes, yeah, very exciting. Episode 8 is in the can. Um Ironically, it is in the can before Justice League is, and Justice League comes out pretty much a month before <laughs> Episode Eight comes out. Oh, that's right. But moving on to Mark Cassidy of ComicBookMovie.com reported that M. Night Shyamalan and his Unbreakable slash Split uh, sequel Glass will be returning Samuel L. Jackson, Bruce Willis, and James McAvoy, the three leads from their respective movies 
and they're also going to be bringing back the uh, young actor who played Bruce Willis's son, as well as the actress who played Bruce Willis's wife in Unbreakable for Glass. Um, I'm I'm honestly very curious about this movie, and I want this movie to be made. As much as people bash on Shyamalan for kind of losing his his way uh, as a filmmaker, Glass is everything I want out of Shyamalan right now. I want a sequel to Unbreakable, which Split kind of was, and I want follow-up, because if it's being called Glass, that implies that something's going on with Mr. Glass, Samuel L. Jackson's character, and they have a great Xavier Magneto dynamic to them. This is probably the first thing I've been excited to um, get out of M. Night Shyamalan in a while, and that he has somehow kind of like tricked the studios into allowing him to finish out a trilogy that he's off and on mentioned for the last, what, 14 years is really fantastic news, and that he is going to try to um, merge... Uh, he's going to try to merge the world that was unbreakable, which is very grounded, very intriguing that there's a few people who have um, opposite ends or the spectrums of powers, you know, mm-hmm. like, because um, that's what Bruce Willis was. He was just the unbreakable man who's incredibly strong. And then you have um, Samuel L. Jackson's character, Mr. Glass, who is literally as fragile as glass and which why he's confined to a wheelchair. How they're going to merge the two worlds with, you know, that's for some reason uh, Bruce Willis is still floating out there. And there's McAvoy's 23 personalities. If you've seen Split, definitely some kind of supernatural powers. Because at one point he takes a shotgun to the chest and gets up. (laughs) And seems to be doing quite well at the end of the movie. Um, It's going to be an interesting merge. And he says that this is he's been thinking about this for all these years. And that this is it. He just wants to make this little trilogy of his own. What he feels is his own superhero world. And that's fantastic. Glass is due out in 2019, so that means filming's going to have to start soonish, like January, February, maybe even March, depending on how long they plan on the movie being, and then post-production, then whenever they plan on releasing it, which I would expect either second quarter 2019 or third quarter, third quarter 20, not second quarter, first quarter 2019 or third quarter 2019. I don't think they're going to release in that summer blockbuster uh, hit, especially in 2019 when you've got... Uh, the Avengers 4 coming out. I think there's another... We we talked about this last week. Wonder Woman right. might be getting bumped somewhere in there. Uh, you've got Captain Marvel at the beginning of the year. There's a lot of stuff coming out in 2019, so I think that's probably going to be a September-October release. Yeah, that sounds like a good sweet spot for it. Just... Um... It's not supposed to be a very big budget movie. He said it's he's not even going to get the money that they gave him for Unbreakable, and but he's getting a lot more money than he got for um, uh, for Split, which I think he said it was around a ten million dollar film. Um, so somewhere between ten and seventy, <laughs> <laughs> which is a nice little area for him to play in. Yeah, it, it helps keep him in check, and it helps keep him what should happen, not where can we go with this money. Exactly. So it, it'll be a a very nice closing out for Shyamalan as far as this universe goes. Uh, personally, I'd like to revisit the Signs universe. I don't know. Is Signs popular? I have so many different friends who have mixed feelings about that movie. Personally, I enjoy it. But I think that's largely because, uh, like I discussed with Scotty, aliens freak the crap out of me. <laughs> so I, that movie just was very tense for me because I, like, I have a nightmare at least once a year about aliens coming and we see the flying saucer and all of a sudden just the world goes crazy, crazier than it is already. Uh, and it just 
freaks me out the what could happen like are they going to come in peace or are they going to war the worlds us are they going to signs us what are they going to do uh no it was, i know signs was a big hit at the box office because i was kind of continuing his streak of just you know hitting out of the park movie after movie when he had what three or four in a row that were i think made 200 million or more um and but i know it seems to be that it's diminished in terms of in terms of relevance which is a little unfortunate because I just rewatched it earlier this year, late last year, and I was really impressed by how he kind of set it, how he set things up and how and how he just ratcheted up the tension. Of course, the actual reveal that they're kind of just weird long men was kind of disappointing and the whole baseball swing at the end thing never worked for me ever. I, I think that was a big part of what people did not like about the movie was all these little threads coming together to help save the family. But again, it, it wasn't, it was literally about the family. It wasn't right. about the invasion of earth. That was just background noise. It was right. about what, how is this family going to survive this invasion? The swing away Meryl is a little over the top. Yeah. But I mean, you could say that about the, the little girl and her water thing where others oh, dust in that water. I can't drink that. And it, yeah. it, it there's, there's a lot of just, the droid army or the the chitari in um avengers where you just have the one thing that happens and everything else just falls apart right so like, you destroy the, the mothership and they all you know it mm. I, I i get it but at the same time it's kind of what they're building towards they're building towards you know he he has faith that everything has a purpose right. the little girl has this thing with her water so that they could hurt the alien he has asthma so he can stop the toxin from getting to his lungs Merrill retired from baseball and has that baseball bat in the room so he could right. knock out the alien. So it all ties up nicely. And I get that people don't like it because it does tie up nicely. But at the same time, that's kind of the point of the movie is that everything has a purpose. Even his wife dying and him losing his faith all played into this whole scenario where they were allowed to survive. Yeah. And I think that I think it works with the whole last scene of, you know, um, of Mel Gibson putting back on the um, the preacher's collar and stuff and that he's reaccepted and reaffirmed his faith. That's never found... I've, I know some people found that cheesy. I, that's, I've never found that cheesy. I just... just There's certain little things where I'm just kind of like, that's that's a little overwrought, but the movie itself is still really solid and I still do freak out every single time with them watching the video. Yeah. No, they're, you know, he he knows how to frame things so well. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm on it. They're watching on TV. It's back and forth. They're showing them. Everybody's leaning in. The camera's just getting a little bit closer to them. They're showing the footage. And he waits like two or three seconds longer than you expect it to wait. And then all of a sudden, it just crosses by and I jump, they jump. It always That scene has always worked so well. And Joaquin Phoenix's reaction to that, too, is so good. Mm -hmm. He just brings his hand up to his face. And he's just shocked. Mm -hmm. Like you're expecting to see an alien, and then you yeah. see it, and you're like, "Oh my god, I saw an alien!" Mm -hmm. Like that's exactly what we would do. Exactly. And it's. I, I personally enjoy that movie a lot, and and it's kind of a, an interesting side topic that we're getting on here while we're talking, getting ready to talk about like worst movies ever. I honestly haven't seen Lady in the Water. I don't plan on seeing it, but I know that that kind of was the, the beginning of the end for Shyamalan. Um, I'm not sure if that's on your list. We haven't really discussed our lists prior, so we're going into these cold. No, um, the village didn't work for me. I kind of liked the twist at the end of the village. Kind of really hated it, but Lady in the Water just I, 
it just feels indulgent and not in a good way um that he was just he was at a point of his career where he could kind of see that things were starting to turn turn against him a little bit but he just wanted to go after like this little passion project of this apparently this fairy tale he would tell his daughters when he, they would you know to put them to sleep and that's what it felt like it felt like you're telling a story to a five-year-old that logically makes no sense and it just doesn't work but no leaving the water's not the worst thing's ever seen certainly not the village is one half of a really good thriller and then it gets kind of out of hand by just completely getting rid of all the supernatural in it yeah and that that kind of I think that's what bummed a lot of people out about it is the fact that there was literally nothing supernatural about that movie. That's the entire crux of the promotioning, promotional stuff that we saw. And again, for the first half of that movie, you just there's these monsters that come, mm-hmm. and you you get these great visuals of the red cloaks and the yellow cloaks and all this, and then uh, it pulls a little bit of a of an alien where you think like, Oh yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is going to be the hero. And then all of a sudden it becomes blind Bryce Dallas Howard. Right. And you, you're getting this really great moment and you get the scene of her and the monster in the woods, which is super tense. Mm-hmm. And then you find out it's Adrian Brody. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, Oh man, what's going on here? And then they kind of reveal everything right. and it, it, it loses its luster after that, which I think that might've been the end of act two. Maybe I, I I forget I haven't seen the village in a long time but I think the village is a very strong start and they collapse at the finish line. Oh certainly, because I mean I know everybody's pointed it out before but you know she has to go you know and then it turns out that they're out in the past they're actually in present day because mm-hmm. of the whole secret society thing we've left behind the world kind of thing going and I just keep thinking to myself because she eventually goes out. And they give her, like, a, a list of medicines to request for... I forget who is sick. Um, I think it's Joaquin Phoenix's oh, character. Is it? Yeah, okay. And then she goes out, and she, like, stumbles onto this road, and she just hands this list and apparently money, and they go get it and bring it back to her, and she disappears. And, like, Shyamalan goes and gets it. Oh, that's right. That's I right. I think that's also part of what people kind of... Because all of a sudden, he's the deus ex machina yeah. for this whole adventure. This blind girl in old peasant wear has a list and money, and... She finds the one good person who would actually bring it back um, while she waits there for like three hours. Uh, <laughs> but the thing that bothered me the most about that was, why just didn't one of the adults go? There's like 75 adults there who all know about the world. They all sign this pack together. Why not Why not one of them? Just go grab your blue jeans and your shirt. Go wander out. Go get some actual dang medicine and come back. I, I don't understand why they would not have that kind of pact amongst themselves a whole like oh crud one of our guys is really sick only a villager can you know only an adult who founded this village can wander out and go to the next village and get some medicine from the healing woman you know <laughs> you could lie and tell that to everybody you could yeah and i get I, that's definitely a fair criticism yeah Man. i got i really got nothing against i think the only thing that comes to my mind is that they had this vow that they were never going to go back to civilization and so they just let blind Bryce Dallas Howard go. Yeah. They could have stood on the edge of the property on the edge of the road like she did. <laughs> <laughs> so what else do we have in news? Uh, we had the first Tomb Raider trailer. Your, your silence <laughs> speaks volumes. It strikes me as a, pretty much like they're just completely going with the rebooted game, which I don't know if you played the rebooted game. Yep, played it's, them both. it's a lot of fun. I haven't played the, the new one, The Rise of the Tomb Raider. Uh, but the first reboot 
uh, just that was just called Tomb Raider that came out on the Xbox 360 and X, uh, PlayStation 3. That was a lot of fun, especially it, it made dying fun. It made oh, yeah. dying interesting because if you've never played it, basically imagine the worst way you can die in a Tomb Raider game or like as a as a treasure seeker. Pillars falling on you, getting impaled by spikes. They show you that. If you yeah. like Laura drowns, she gets impaled, she gets shot. And they like go into the. They show you every way you can die in this game. If you die in that moment, you're. They show you the the full thing. It's just, not just like God of War, where it just says you're dead. Yeah, uh, I've played the both. I played both of them, and they're one of the few games I actually made a point to hundred percent them, just because I enjoyed that world and I enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed the, the game mechanics. I enjoyed the, the, some of the ways that they mix in supernatural and stuff. I do actually really am a fan of the deaths because. Um, I looked it up, and those were all motion captured by the uh, by the voice actress, and she called them death days because they would just go in, and they'd be like, "Here's like a hundred deaths we're gonna do to you do to you today," and she would have to motion capture. Which my favorite one is still from um, still from the first one, and it's in the trailer where like she's running across a wing and she of an airplane, mm-hmm. and she ends up falling into the water, which happens in the first game. And if you don't do the timing sequence right to ride down the the waterfall and get thrown into the pool at the end you end up being thrown onto um, part of the plane's wreckage and like she's in, and they show her impaled with like the chest and like the mouth mm-hmm. and like part of the rigging and I'm like that's just disgusting oh I killed Laura <laughs> dang it and then you yeah <laughs> they start back over and I just I was sitting there going that's really disturbing and then it turns out she had to motion capture that <laughs> yeah they they did a lot with that game um, Crystal Dynamics is the the company that made the game uh, Square is the company that produced it yeah it's it's a lot of fun it looks like they're kind of bleeding a little bit of rise of the tomb raider largely because in the first game you had laura who was seeking out this island looking for like whatever her her father's legacy basically would be and she ends up in like the japanese bermuda triangle her ship crashes which is an amazing opening cutscene. i think it's in the trailer the first announcement trailer for that game too where her ship just like splits in half and she's falling to the depths and she ends up just like somehow breaking out of her uh, would-be tomb in yep. this boat and then she ends up on shore and she's just like, where the hell am I? My only gripe as far as the new movie goes is I'm not 100% sold on Alicia Vikander. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Alicia or Alicia. I think it's Alicia. Mm-hmm. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I'm going to continue to call it Alicia until I see her say Alicia. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sold on her as Laura, largely because I am very much in love with the motion capture and voice actress who did the first Tomb Raider. But I think they brought in Alicia Vikander because she is kind of becoming a name in Hollywood. She was in Ex Machina, and um, she's been in a couple of other things. I think she won an Academy Award recently. I think she won Best Supporting Actress. Uh, I believe it's her Lead ex- Actress. Uh, I think it was supporting actress for Ex Machina. No, it was. I think it was this year's Oscars. Was um, it? Oh. Yeah, I think I don't think she was nominated for Ex Machina. She's an up and coming name. She's kind of like a a different Brie Larson or a British Brie Larson, if you will. I think she's just she's going to be the new name in Hollywood. And I I, I don't know. I'm just not 100 percent sold on her as Laura. She just she has the look. There's just something about her that I'm I'm not a huge fan of. Oscar winner 2016, best performance by an actress in a supporting role for The Danish Girl, 2015. Oh, The Danish Girl. That's right. I forgot she was in that. Yep. So I was right. You were wrong. Yeah. Uh, point me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thoughts on the trailer? I part What bothered me a little bit about the trailer, which I am slightly excited by, because I was just watching it going like, I did that. 
I did that. Ooh, I did that too. I remember that. And, but but then I went, then I scaled back and went, oh yeah, that's right. I I did that. <laughs> I died doing that. You know, because you know, if you're playing video games, you project yourself. You're the antagonist. Mm-hmm. You're the one making the choices. Protagonist. Sorry, protagonist. Correct. And um, you're the one who's making the choices, who's investing, you know, ten to twenty hours in a video game, depending on which kind of game it is. And I certainly did invest that amount of time in both of them. Because, like I said, I 100%ed them and just really enjoyed them. And I really enjoyed the, her name is Camilla Luddington, mm-hmm. who's, the, uh, who's the voice motion capture artist for those uh, the two most recent games and is going to be for the third one as well. And so seeing uh, Alicia Vikander, they don't really look alike, which kind of bothered me. I mean... They have a similar body type. Yeah, but... but I, and I mean, there's a, there's a behind-the-scenes thing that we shared on our Facebook page, which, please go and like us on Facebook... Um, there's a thing we shared on our Facebook page with the behind the scenes with Alicia Vikander, like doing her workouts and she, she got ripped. Oh yeah. No, um, there, I rewatched the trailer after, um, after my wife, uh, said, Oh, they're making your, they're making your video games into a movie. And I went, yes, so they are. And so I watched it a second time and there was a few times where like, you could see she's really ripped. I mean, she's not quite, uh, Terminator to, uh, Sarah Connor ripped. I can't remember the actress's name. I feel terrible. Linda Hamilton. Thank you. She's not Lyndall Hamilton ripped. Of which... who was coming back for Terminator Six? Six. Yes. Six. Actually. Yes. She'll be coming back in Terminator Six. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger confirmed they're going to ignore Terminator Genesis completely and make their Sounds own. Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I rewatched and I was like, okay, she does have. She definitely did work out. She does have a, a ripped physique, which Laura Croft really needs to be shooting the bows, leaping over stuff, climbing free. Um, Free climbing, all the things she's done, um, the fighting guys, as is required apparently by these games now, because you can't find a T Rex anymore. Yes, so yeah. I don't know if it was just the cutting of the way of the trailer or the framing that they used on her. I just kept thinking that that's a really nice video game render, but they got the face wrong. <laughs> there's there's one really bad uncanny valley moment in the trailer where she falls off a log into the river, which the river sequence in the video game is awesome. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably my favorite place to die. She she falls in and she just falls in like she just disappears into the water. Even in a roaring rapid like that, you're gonna make a splash. Yeah, and there's no splash whatsoever. And it just that that just bothered me. Like, oh, that's where she fell into the padding, and they just kind of decided not to render a splash. Okay, was kind of excited to see. I think it was Nick Frost at the end who was giving her the guns, and you know he's like, oh, it's dangerous out there, and she quips, you know, I'll take two. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that. That's, and then I'm trying to figure out the framing of that. Like, where does that fit in the movie? And I kind of agree with uh, some people on the message board who says, like, that seems like a third act kind of thing where she yeah. escaped the island and goes back. Or that's literally the last scene of the movie. Where it's like, I finished my venture. I'm going on another one. I'm going to gear up. Well, in the game, they, they eventually give her her dual wielding pistols. And I, so I, I assume it'll be a third act thing. Like, it'll either be the very end of the second act or it'll be, in, like, right in the middle of the third act. So that, that, you're probably right about that. Um, in other trailer news, we have the second trailer for The Murder on the Orient Express, which I intended to watch and never did. Uh, I would say if you've watched the first one, if you've watched the second one, because it's very, very similar um, building of the train mystery, which is exactly what the first one did. I mean, if you've seen any of The Murder on the Orient Express, it's probably Agatha Christie's best-known one other than the constantly renamed, I apologize, but... 10 Little Indians, which some people are saying is politically incorrect now, and they've changed it like three times because it used to be a much more offensive name. Um, so this is her most famous one aside from that one. And it's just 
was resetting the world a little bit once more you're introduced these are all the uh, these are all the people on the train there's been a murder and he's going to figure it out and i mean you can't expect much more that from that from a whodunit trailer but it's just in my opinion a very alternate cut of the first one i'm still kind of excited for it because i really like kenneth Branagh. i do like the idea of them bringing back this trailer I mean, sorry, not Australia. This movie a few different times because it seems like every twenty thirty year they twenty thirty years they either do it as a TV movie with a bunch of big TV name stars, and that's been done in Britain a few times, or they do it as a big movie with all the biggest stars upcoming or fading or or relevant stars at that time. I think the last time they really did a big budget one was like seventy three ish. I mean, it is just not really a passion project, but it's just kind of it's just one of those movies where it's like, yes, it's a really good story. Let's retell it again, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I, I've honestly never seen any of them or read the books, so I'm I'm kind of excited. I'm always down for a good whodunit. Mm-hmm. Uh, our topic this week is worst movies seen, and these are literally movies that Alex and I have seen. We obviously there are worse movies than some of these out there. Plan Nine from Outer Space. Uh, you know, you can you can make you can just pull a make a list of bad movies that we probably haven't seen and make a, an episode on that. But these are the movies we've seen that are awful. And I'm going to start with mine, which is a Roland Emmerich-directed movie called 10,000 B.C. I've seen these in theaters. I don't know if you have. 10,000 B.C., uh, directed by Roland Emmerich, stars Stephen Strait as Malay. Of course. <laughs> which uh, I found out through IMDb that Malay is uh, Hel- Helm? Hel- no, Delet. I'm sorry. Delet. D apostrophe L-E-H which is held backwards, which I believe they said in German, or means hero in German, and Roland Emmerich's like, that's my hero's name. I'm going to make it Dele. And it also starred um, possibly Alicia Vikander of her time, Camilla Bell. Uh, I remember when she was supposed to be a thing. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> I honestly thought Camilla Bell was the girl in the Fifty Shades movies. I was like, okay, this is where she's gone in her career. No, not to everyone. <laughs> Uh, so 10,000 BC essentially centers around a caveman who has the, the love of his life kidnapped by the Egyptians. And it's about his journey across the wastelands of the Ice Age to get to ancient Egypt, where the pyramids have been built and so is the Sphinx. And it is just bad. I, I honestly can barely remember this movie. I remember I wrote a review for it for my college newspaper and for a, a placeholder caption for the image that we had, uh, the editor just put, 10,000 BC is a piece of shit movie you shouldn't see. And he forgot to change it, so he published it with that caption. Ouch. <laughs> oh, that's rough. It was so great. Uh, I don't think we got disqualified or even were reprimanded. In, 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 but, oh my god, 10,000 BC was just so bad. Uh, it has an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I meant to grab the IMDb ratings as well, but I, I forgot about that and I ran out of time. But yeah, I honestly barely remember even the conflict of this movie besides Dele has to go get his his lover from the Egyptians. And I believe the Egyptians are all white as well. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, because I did, uh, it would seem like the kind of movie that I would love to watch in theaters because it's so bad. We never did get around to it. And I remember watching it at home and I was just kind of scratching my head, wondering if, like, if the director thought, you know, 100 million year, 100 million BC, I think we can make a more accurate version of that, but still f it all up, <laughs> because there's pyramids, there's woolly mammoths, there's saber-toothed tigers. 
Yeah, it's, and there's it's no, just a giant cluster. And, and, and I do find it funny that the one blue-eyed person is his girlfriend. Which <laughs> is like... Because apparently that's like they need it. They're like, we need a feature that we that you know we're going to cover everybody in dirt and grime and everybody because nobody knew how to bathe back then, <laughs> which is just blatantly false. But no one knew how to bathe back then, so everyone has a lot of dirt. And so we need one identifying feature. Go find the whitest blue-eyed girl we can find. <laughs> but she has to be brunette, too, because she has to fit the area. Exactly. But, she has to fit the area. And if which, the, again, the area is completely ambiguous. Like, that's the one thing that they decided to leave a mystery was, yeah. where are they from? We don't fucking care. <laughs> and then again, these are not sent in any order. So um, we're going to bounce back and forth with this. Uh, my first one was 10,000 BC. Alex, go ahead with your first one. I'm going to go with a movie that I've run across people who've defended this to the ends of the earth. We're going to go with the wonderful movie that was called from uh, Saturday Night Live that was called McGruber, starring Will Forte, Kristen Wiig, Ryan Phillippe. Ryan Phillippe was in that? Yep. Val Kilmer and Maya Rudolph. But anyway, so, so so what's the story behind McGruber? Uh, it was wasn't it an SNL character? Yeah, it, it was an SNL character where basically they were making fun of MacGyver. Yes, and they had all these really terrible bits, um, which they which always ended up with whatever wacky scheme he had put it together to stop the guy always failed and it blew up and everyone died and it said McGruber. Now I don't remember much about the plot of the movie. I was watching it and I was starting to self hate <laughs> because I'm like because I was not that excited about it. But I at least was intrigued to how they're going to stretch us out to the running time, I think, was like 102 minutes or something terrible like that. My wife loves bad movies like I do. That's one of the reasons why we get along so well is we'll watch Sharknado and just laugh and enjoy it. Or Ozark Sharks or Ice Volcano or Airplane versus Volcano, which is a real movie, by the way. And we're watching this expecting parody, expecting fun, expecting humor, and it's just deadness between the two of us. And then she actually got up and walked out and said, and, no, she actually, she looked at me and she said, are you turning this off? And I went, no, I'm going to, I'm going to watch this to the end. <laughs> and she sat there for a few minutes, made a comment and then left the room. And so I just sat there going like, okay, she went to bed let's, let's finish this. And I did laugh briefly. And I will tell you why it wasn't the scene where, um, McGruber goes to see his old, um, goes to his wife's grave because she had passed on and he has new interest in now Kristen Wiig and her ghost appears and they do it on her gravestone. Mind you, he's a little over the top. It is a little bit over the top because then of course, you know, they're going at it together and he's like sweating on her and stuff like that. But then it actually cuts to the real world and it just shows a naked man thrusting against the headstone. Didn't laugh at that. I briefly laughed because there's a scene towards the end where, uh, where Ryan Phillippe and McGruber are trying to take down Val Kilmer and they're trying to distract guards. And Ryan Phillippe, which is when I knew his career was over, distracts the guards by using a, a technique McGruber taught him, which was to take a cucumber, stick it between his butt cheeks, and dance back and forth while making like little sounds to distract the guards. <laughs> and I did laugh because I went, you have no career, man, my man. This is why I haven't seen you in a movie in years. <laughs> I assume Ryan Phillippe was supposed to be the straight man to McGruber's yes. crazy guy. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I can't tell you. There's a wonderful joke. So um, because Val Kilmer is an evil, evil man, and he's like going to use a nuclear warhead to blow up Detroit or Washington, D.C. or something like that, they give him a wonderful name that they constantly borderline produce, which his last name is Von Kuntz. Von okay. Kuntz. 
he corrects them too because they everyone else pronounces it van Kunt. <laughs> gotcha. there's the kind of humor you got for that movie <laughs> so really just not even trying just going no it was horrible laughs. it was horrible <laughs> okay yeah, I'm glad I never saw that. I think the only real exposure I ever had to McGruber was the advertisements for it, and I believe Michael Scott dressed up as McGruber in it for a Halloween episode of uh, The Office. That's all you need. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I'll take Michael Scott as McGruber. All right, so my second movie that I have listed here, again, these are in no particular order. These are just, like, as far as I'm concerned, they're the ones that came to mind. Yeah. Uh, my second one is Pathfinder, directed by Marcus Nispel. Starring Carl Urban, Moon Bloodgood, and Clancy Brown. Which, you would actually think that wouldn't be a terrible movie. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah. It's not that bad. It's it, not good at all. <laughs> it's awful. It is stupid. It is. It makes no sense whatsoever. I honestly still don't even know Carl Urban's name in that movie. I think he's supposed to be called Ghost. And that's because the Native Americans that raised him are super racist. And like, oh, he's white like a ghost. The premise is Carl Urban, as a child, is left behind when the Vikings show up to rape and pillage a Native American village. As they did. As they did. (laughs) Carl Urban gets left behind for reasons, and he gets raised by the Native Americans because he's an innocent child, I guess, and they're not going to just murder someone to murder someone. And so he's raised as a Native American. He never fits in, unfortunately. And he, I honestly don't even remember how Moon Blood Good fits into this movie because the only thing I remember out of this movie, I didn't even know Clancy Brown was in this movie. Uh, the only thing I remember is that his like silent sidekick, who my my friends and I who went and saw this movie, I think we named him Sideshow Bob because <laughs> he literally was just there to die. He gets killed by the Vikings that have come back, and there's this really weird moment. the The musical score of the movie changes from this somber classical music where Carl Urban's character just gets really pissed off and all of a sudden you just hear this vroom guitar riff. <laughs> and we're like, what the fuck was that? It sounded like a motorcycle revving up and we're like, it's my, it's Sideshow Bob driving on his motorcycle off into the sunset. Is like I, just, I honestly don't even remember how the movie ended. I, I remember there was a an avalanche where they used stock footage from a Discovery Channel documentary. Oh, wow. You could tell because the film stock is so much worse than the actual film of the movie. So wow. You could tell they couldn't even afford computer generation for this thing. And it just... It was so bad. Like it was, it wasn't even for it, it was forgettable bad, but at the same time I walked out I was just like that was the one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. And I, this has a uh, 11% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, of course it does. For, for my number 2 pick, I'm going to go with See, I what I consider like a worst movie is not a movie that is mistakenly bad like Plan 9 from Outer Space. You know, they were trying. Or, you know, the Sharknado movies where they're trying. They're intentionally making a bad but they're movie. Intentionally they're making it fun bad. bad. Yeah. They're not, yeah, it's a fun bad. Or you, you can tell they have passion. They just don't have money. I'm going with a movie that had money, had a very talented director. And I know so many people who love this movie. But every time I hear it mentioned or every time that it comes up, I just get this unnatural rage to myself. Because I don't Sounds like me and get. Boba Fett. <laughs> We're not having that discussion again. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> well, I swear to God, if he shows up in eight, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be so happy. Uh, I hate uh, you. So Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Our first I, controversial pick. I I can tell you exactly why I hate the movie. 
one, it's not that Michael Sarah is one of the worst actors in the world, even though he's like 45 now. He better be Jesse Eisenberg in Molly's <laughs> Game. <laughs> but, and I can tell that there's things I'm supposed to be enjoying there. Like, I enjoy uh, Chris uh, Chris Evans being a bad bad boy skater guy, mm-hmm. and I enjoy some of the exes, and I enjoy some of the little... I enjoy the way that the director who... Uh, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, thank you. I enjoy the way Edgar Wright knows how to shoot a movie. He knows how to add these little tricks. He adds all these intricacies. He likes a fun script. Yeah, you can see it in Shaun of the Dead. You can see it in um, you can see in Hot Fuzz. I've heard people say Baby Driver's good, but whatever. Um <laughs> I, but and you, it, in um, and uh, the world's end, he did it as well with a big reveal at the end of that movie. So he's very good at mixing things, putting his passion and in, in creativity into it. The girl he's pining after, uh, Roma or whatever. Rex. Rex. Romana. Ramona. Ramona. The girl he's pining after, she always just says, my evil exes. And, that, you know, the whole, like, you were dated a girl once kind of thing. You know, I was like, oh. And she just says, I, I only ever said exes. Now, my ex-boyfriends. And there's little things I enjoy. And some of the comic book uh, elements, you can tell that he pulled certain things from panels because I saw them lined up and the video game references. But I just kept sitting there going, why the hell do I care about this guy? Why do I care about this journey? Why do I care what he's doing? Why am I not feeling some emotion? Why am I? I'm not sure if it's the actor's fault that he wasn't emoting correctly or he was giving bad direction about how he should be pursuing her. But I just got this overwhelming feeling that he's this selfish, prissy little puppy that wants something better than what he already has and he doesn't deserve it. And so I'm just, I, I there's all these, you know, sparkles and, and money and, you know, interest on camera. And I'm just like, I don't give a crap. Because I have no reason to root for this guy. Mm-hmm. He has a girlfriend. He has a decent life. But now he's chasing the shiny thing. And for some reason, to get his confidence to win her back, he has to kick these guys' ass, which admittedly, they're fun battles. There's no reason for me to like you. There's nothing wrong with your previous girlfriend. You not even express that you're unhappy with her. That there's something fundamentally wrong with your guys' relationship. You just saw a redheaded girl and went, I want that. And if there would have been some kind of like emotional conflict, they would have like made some reason as to why they're breaking up or why he's doing this. And it doesn't even seem that Roma, uh, Romana, Ramona, Ramona, sorry, <laughs> why Ramona has any interest in him other than he's fighting her exes. Like I never got there as an engagement or chemistry between them other than okay, if you kick all these guys, you know, all my exes' butts, we can sleep together. It's like, do you just walk around handing business cards to say this? <laughs> why are you doing this? And it did nothing for me. And And I I hated that. I can totally understand that. Um, Scott in the movie is kind of an irredeemable asswad. But to, to answer your last criticism, he like Ramona isn't even actually like engaged in any kind of relationship with him. It's because he's pursuing her that the exes are going after him to make sure he is worthy of dating her. Oh, is that, was that supposed to be the point was? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's kind of creepy now because now she's not interested, but <laughs> the exes are beating him up to prove he's good enough. Well, they're proving they're beating him up to prove that he's not good enough. Okay, because they're yeah they they have this little league of ex boyfriends right. that's put together by um, an ex girlfriend. <laughs> yes, the league of exes. I apologize. 
that 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 have been put together and they it's an entertaining movie i i enjoy it scott is kind of an irredeemable asswad i think that was kind of i think that was one of the last good honest trailers that screen junkies ever did was making fun of scott pilgrim because they did point out that he's a whiny little selfish punk who doesn't deserve anything right and uh but again the the shiny visuals and the script and like the the fun little things like where he asks his his uh, roommate, you know, do you know what sucks? Is he's spelling out sucks on the the refrigerator, and his roommate says what? And he goes everything, and he flips the eight over on its side. <laughs> yeah, like there's fun little visuals like that, and yeah. and I think that that's kind of what distracts people from Scott's actual personality right. and why he's kind of an irredeemable douchebag. Yeah, I mean, there's things I liked about it, and you know, I you know, I found it Chris Evans engaging. I found all the little twists and turns and you know and some of the writing was just brilliant i was just i was completely lost after like minute 15 or 16 where i realized there's no reason to root for him and then i was more spending most of it worrying wondering where his you know his where his girlfriend was i'm like did he actually break up with her i think he broke up with her. why did he break up with her what's the excuse is he going to end up back with her i swear to god if this movie ends up with him being back with her and she takes him back no you will not and but yeah whatever <laughs> there's there's so many great little actors that showed up in this movie though. Um, you've got Karen Culkin, who I think is a very underrated Culkin. Yeah. Um, you also have um, Aubrey Plaza, who shows up. Mm-hmm. Anna Kendrick plays Scott's sister. Oh, uh, she does. I forgot about that. Yeah, and you've also got um, uh, Brandon Routh. Brandon Routh. Ruth. I think it's Routh. Um, former who, Superman. Yeah, former Superman, who is currently the Adam in the. Um, Arrow TV show and Legends of whatever, like you said, you got uh, Legends of Tomorrow, not Legends of whatever. Chris Evans shows up. Uh, Brie Larson actually played Scott's ex-girlfriend, so that and that's kind of a fun little tie into the Marvel universe because Chris Evans had actually tweeted out once that he he actually was on set the same day as Brie Larson when they were filming, and so nice. he's like, we can't, we couldn't expect a more professional, better actor to join our ranks. Um, my favorite, Mae Whitman, which I know you're not a fan of Arrested Development, right? Um, but she played uh, Michael Sarah's girlfriend in that show, so there's a fun little tie-in there. And she's also the voice of Katara in Avatar The Last Airbender. Wasn't she the daughter from the original Independence Day? Probably, I think so. I think <laughs> yeah. you're right. And then she's also the voice of Tinkerbell. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Jason Schwartzman showed up as, like, boyfriend number one. Right. So there's so many, like, fun little cameos and actors and little things in, that go on in this movie that I think kind of redeem it. Mm-hmm. But, again, this is our list. I'm not here to argue no, and no, make no, you no. change your mind. Because you uh, won't. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to justify, like, why people oh, yeah, argue, no, no, argue under- for it. No, I understand that. I think the fun outweighs the the negative character. Because, I mean, Scott is kind of an Aaron Sorkin kind of character where he is kind of the villain of the movie mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a lot of respects. And he's, he's not a likable character. So I can definitely understand that, especially when you're going into a movie thinking that it's going to be this fun, like video game comic book style movie. And then all of a sudden you're pro- the guy who's supposed to be your protagonist is not very likable. Mm-hmm. Moving on to my third movie. This one, I think you might be able to uh, agree with me on a little bit. Uh, the spirit directed by Frank Miller, starring Gabriel Macht. Samuel L. Jackson, Scarlett oh, Johansson, God. and Eva Mendez. I am even embarrassed to mention that I saw this movie. I saw it in theaters, too. Yeah, it has a 14% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. This was directed by Frank Miller shortly after Sin City came out and was very successful. 
the film was shot in the same way as Sin City, but it's not just it's not shown the same way as the Spirit comic book was. And no. I think that was a big downfall of it. The other part of it is Samuel L. Jackson dressing up in Nazi paraphernalia. Well, yeah. Um, to, to all the people out there who who don't think that Robert Rodriguez is a good director, you need to watch Sin City and the Spirit in the Spirit back to back and realize he you know. What you can actually do with a little bit of talent, <laughs> because I, the only I, the only thing I remember about the spirit, other than I just liked it, was the scene where I I swear this movie is supposed to be set like in the forties or fifties. It seems to be, but there's a photocopier, and he, uh, Eva Mendez sits on it and then prints out a picture of her butt with. And the underwear forms a heart, and she hands it to somebody. That's the only thing I remember. And then she says something like, see, it is perfect, or something like that. And I just went like, where'd they get a photocop? What was the point of that? They wanted to show Eva Mendez is sexy. I, but there's... <laughs> I think she also has a very brief nude scene in it, or... I don't remember. I doubt she was actually nude. They probably just did, like, the stylizing of it or whatever. Um, but I think that was... Yeah, the, the spirit is just awful in every whoever actually gave that movie a good review <laughs> needs to be fired <laughs> or taken off the internet yeah I, I that's that's the only thing i remember from it. i was like okay so it's nuari and then where'd they get a photocopier yeah i think they tried to pull like a batman the animated series where like there's a lot of obvious 40s and 30s influences but it's still kind of modern like I mean, in Batman the Animated Series, they're running around with Tommy guns. I don't even remember who I don't even remember who the spirit was in that. Other than I think he had a red tie, right? He had a red tie and a blue suit. Um, he was like, well, no, and there was a different Nick Dick Tracy. I think that was the Gabriel Macht guy. I don't think he has a career anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that's that's up there on my list. That was one of the movies that kicked off a string of themed theater adventures with my my friends Thomas and Kyle. Mm-hmm where we saw the first Alien vs. Predator, and then the year after that, we saw The Spirit, and then the year after that, I called them up like, hey, what shitty movie are we going to see next? Because like, all they all came out around Christmas time. Like, we have Star Wars coming out this year. There was a time in the early 2000s where Christmas was where they just threw the shit. Yeah, like, yep. They just threw it against the wall to see what would stick, and used to. it almost never stuck. And now we have Star Wars coming out pretty much every Christmas. And thank you, Hollywood, for that <laughs> Christmas present. Uh, my third pick is a movie that I'm pretty sure no one has seen. Uh, there was a time where I was really into binging horror movies. And so we just go down to the library and get a, you know, get a, and I'd be given a bunch of movies. And so I saw this movie. Uh, it was called The Harvest. And it was a lo- very low-budget um, you know, B-movie about this evil scarecrow. And I was like, huh, okay, not bad. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad. And then I saw there was a sequel called The Harvest 2, The Maze. Mind you, maze is spelled M-A-I-Z-E. So corn. Corn. Yeah. And so I watched it. <clears throat> and I'm, and it's this movie about uh, there. there's this cornfield where two girls had disappeared. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's a very popular cornfield, and this father takes his daughters into it, and they somehow get lost from each other. And then there's like 90 minutes of him wandering around screaming his daughter's names. Um, for some reason, there's really bad smoke as fog blown at his face while he's walking around, and there's pictures of puddles, <laughs> and there's 
And then they do some day for night, which is a terrible way to shoot. You know, the whole, like, you shoot in the middle of the day, but tinted blue, so it's nighttime. And then there's the lights that are up and around the maze, you know, that you think you could get out because there's these giant spotlights to light up the maze at night. But he can't. And his daughters are missing. And they're being attacked by the spirit of the other girls who had died there. I don't remember how it ends. i just pretty sure it ends with love overcomes or something like that. Now, if you've listened to that little diatribe and you've went, where's the scarecrow murdering people? That's my question. Because it turns out the maze is actually not related at all to Dark Harvest. The reason why they named it Dark Harvest 2, The Maze, is because Dark Harvest had sold well on... Kids, there's these things called VHS. (laughs) On VHS and DVD. And branded it there so it would sell better. And I didn't find this out, of course, until I went to went to the Google and wondered what the hell happened. And it was a production company decision to do this. And I was like, I hate everything. I felt betrayed. I felt lied to. I felt ashamed. Why would Hollywood do this to me? Why would Hollywood do this to me? And I just found out earlier that it has a sequel. Mind you, it's not Dark Harvest 3, The Maze 2. It's The Maze 2. Forever Yours. And I'm tempted to actually see if it's movies as bad as it is. <laughs> But it was just there's there's no one popular in it. There's no one amusing in it. There's like it, it's this low budget company. I looked it. Up, I've you know, look. I've looked it up, and these actors have like done bit parts in a bunch of B movies no one's ever seen before. But I was just felt so lied to and so betrayed. I kept waiting for the scarecrow to come back, or like, is this some kind of like thing where the you know, scarecrow has been dead and now comes back and kind of like resurrects? Is it something where he like someone is killing so many little children to bring up this the scarecrow back to life or something? No, no, it's something wishy-washy, father wandering around shouting for his daughters, and nobody can help him because apparently they're in a different part of the maze than everybody else. Whatever. <laughs> Is it a corn maze maze? Yes, it's a corn maze maze, but it's called... <laughs> it's the, a maze maze? Yes, but it's called The Maze. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, it's, it was terrible. Okay, so my uh, penultimate... Uh, movie that I have on my list here is huh? <laughs> ever since it started getting put up on review sites of the penultimate episode of this season I was just like I hate this word especially when they put what is it for the third to last which you know uh, the antepenultimate oh, yeah. I was like come on guys <laughs> <laughs> they're just trying so my second to last video movie video whatever on this list is a somewhat of a sequel a little-known movie called Electra, <laughs> which is a spinoff of the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie from the early 2000s, which in Daredevil, spoiler alert, Electra is stabbed very unconvincingly and uncanny valleyed uh, through the stomach, to, uh, and she dies. Daredevil has a very emotional funeral for her where some Evanescence plays. He ends up fighting Bullseye and doesn't kill him because he's not the bad guy. Daredevil is actually an okay movie. Electra, where they bring her back and all of a sudden she has OCD. Mm-hmm. And she's like living off in the middle of nowhere trying to just be a mild-mannered assassin or something. Uh, starring Jennifer Garner. I honestly forgot to write down who directed this movie. <laughs> I didn't care enough to look. Uh, starring Jennifer Garner. And of all people, um, you may not recognize the name. 
Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa, who is a very famous, uh, I believe, Japanese actor. He played Shang Tsung in the Mortal Kombat movie. Oh, That's where yes, I know yes, him yes, from. Yes, yes. Um, he's been in a bunch of other things. He, he's also in The Man in the High Castle on uh, Amazon Prime. Um, I honestly love him in pretty much anything. I honestly forgot he was even in this movie. I don't even remember what he was supposed to do in this movie. <laughs> but the Electra, she ends up having to protect this little girl who also has OCD. So she builds some kind of connection to her. And uh, her dad just happens to be single. And, you know, Matt Murdock's not coming back in Fox's universe. So, uh, you know, we got to find a love interest for our female superhero, if she so can be called. She ends up defending this little girl for some reasons against the hand. They just introduce so many awful villains in this movie. I don't even remember what move, what villains they introduced. I just remember one guy was like walking around in one of those tank top, white tank top, and he's like balancing a coin on his finger. He's like, look at me. <laughs> and it, just, he, it was who would thought that was a good idea? Who who thought that this guy would be a good villain? I balance coins on my fingers. I'm menacing. Like that's the only thing I really remember for that movie besides. Uh, Jennifer Garner's Electra looking at the little girl saying, you count steps too? <laughs> My only vague memories of this film is when I watched Daredevil and it back-to-back, like, I don't know, six, seven years Who ago. Who showed it back-to-back? No, I watched it oh, back-to-back. Back I watched back. it back-to-back. Wow, you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> was this after you watched Maze Maze? <laughs> I just remember watching them back-to-back, and I remembered going like, wow, Marvel's never going to get it together. Little did I know Iron Man was coming out soon. Well, that was that was Fox. Yeah. And this was like at least five years before Iron Man came out. Yeah. So I mean, this was this was all Fox trying to just franchise everything that they could with the Marvel properties that they had bought. Uh, obviously, they had success with X Men and X Men Two. I don't think X Men Three had come out by that point. Yeah, Fox Fox really doesn't know what they're doing with their non X Men properties. I argue that they don't even know what they're doing with their X Men properties. <laughs> Uh, Electra is on my list of worst movies ever. Uh, the director's name is Rob Bowman. He did a bunch of TV show. Uh, he's a TV show director. Like he did uh, some X Files, Lone Gunman, Mantis, other stuff. And then he got his big break with Reign of Fire. That uh, Kristen Bell, Matthew McConaughey, dragons fighting uh, helicopter movie from like the two thousand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a fun bad movie. Yeah. Uh, he then got was based on the strength Kristen of that. Bell was in that? Uh, Christian Bell was, yeah. Oh, Christian Bale. I heard Christian Bell. Oh, no, sorry, Christian I like, I Bale. Think, I thought she was doing Veronica Mars and stuff yeah. at that time. Uh, based on the strength of that, he was given Electra, And based on the strength of that, he then directed 28 episodes of Castle. <laughs> I enjoyed Castle. Oh, no, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> That's where like, his career went. Bad. Go I back loved to- Mantis. Mantis was another fun, bad show. Oh, yeah. I, I never saw the final season, but I guess the final season just went really off the rails. Mm-hmm. Speaking of going off the rails, your oh, yeah. second to last worst movie ever. You have to go back to the early, uh, sorry, the late uh, 90s when Robert Rodriguez was still a thing. And I personally am a fan of him. Uh, he did a little movie called Spy Kids, which I absolutely loved. Um, which it still blows my mind that he did Spy Kids. Yes, he wrote and directed the whole thing. And, um, and that's where my first exposure to Alan Cumming was. Okay. Uh, who eventually did Coon Outcrawler um, in X-Men 2, and then he's done like The Good Wife and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I first experienced him from that because he was a character called Floop, and Floop was this big TV 
um, TV show character where he had his own little world and it was CGI, but of course he was actually secretly evil and he sang one of my favorite little songs, which I'm not going to sing because copyright. <laughs> uh, but he sings this Thank little, you. he sings this adorable little song and I would sing it to myself and my sisters and I would watch it, this movie, watch it over and over. And Spike It's 2 was kind of good. Steve Buscemi was the bad guy and it was about going to his island and he had all these like, and he could like control all the animals and dinosaurs on the island from this little machine he had. It was very cute. And then they came with Spy Kids 3. So, of course, I was there with my sisters, and we went and watched it, and I walked out of it wondering what the hell's wrong with my life. Because, for some reason, Spy Kids 3 is Spy Kids 3D. So you had to get on the little red and blue glasses. Sylvester Stallone was the bad guy for some reason. And the show, I mean, the movie itself was... the Spy Kids worked because you had um, had, uh, Junie and his sister... Where's Junie, the sister? Anyways, you had the two kids, the older sister and the younger brother. But the third movie starts with, after having defeated these bad guys, what happens next? His sister retires, and he becomes a gumshoe, and like he's you know eight or ten or something like that. And he's like a gumshoe, and he's like investigating the stuff. He's like moved out of his parents' house already, and then he has to go into the place where his sister was last seen, an interactive video game world. And it's these really bad late 90s, early 2000s opinion on what a video game was and how it works because no one's ever made it to level five, even after 12 hours of playing the game. I don't get it. It didn't do anything for me. um, Sylvester Stallone playing off of like he actually has split his personalities into like a bunch of different little clones of himself so he can talk to himself about how to make the game harder and how to dominate the world. Uh, the 3D is just terrible. It's a bunch of stuff literally being thrown at your face and punching in the face. And I was just like, w- w- what happened? Why did the- why does this exist? W- why couldn't you get the two little kids to play together <laughs> for a third movie in a row? Why, you know, why? Where's Antonio Banderas? Where's uh, Carlo G- uh, Gugino, who is their parents from the first two movies? Why aren't they in this movie more? Of course, everybody does show up at the end and the power of love, blah, 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 blah. They win. And um, Ricardo Montalban shows up, which is fantastic because he uh, he has a wheelchair that has like rockets and stuff on it. So, but I'm watching this movie and, I, and with my sisters and we're all and we're wearing these stupid, horrible, crappy cardboard glasses. Going, that's the 95th thing to punch us in the face, and this is not engaging. You obviously did not have a story to tell. You just went, you just looked at your kids and went, "That's how you play video games, huh?" Okay. Give me 95 minutes and a budget. I can do this. Full disclosure. Um, one, I, for some reason, always get Spy Kids 3 mixed up with Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Oh, that was even worse and came out a few years later. <laughs> <laughs> and two, because I did not know that Robert Rodriguez had directed the Spy Kids trilogy, uh, I my mind connected little dots. And um, Alexa, I believe it's Peña Vegara, mm-hmm. or Vega, Peña Vega, was the sister in those movies. Yes. It was super awkward on the internet because guys started just like drooling over her. Um, but she played a role in machete kills. Oh, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I have no idea, which is how awkward it was to watch that and realize it was the little girl from those movies. Yes. And the internet was drooling over her. And it's kind of like what happened with Emma Watson growing up on Harry Potter, where just like the internet was just waiting for her to turn 18 it was like the Olsen twins 18 countdown calendar all over again. Uh, the internet is a weird and gross place. Seeing the way the internet was just reacting to her being grown up was just awkward. Cause it was like, 
I watch those movies with my nieces and nephews. <laughs> I just see a little girl like, yeah, she's filled out. I'm too old for her. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, her actual, her actual age, she's only like three or four years younger than me. But I remember watching Spy Kids, and then she disappeared. And then I was watching, I went and watched Machete Kills in theaters, because I love those movies. And so I went and watched it in theaters, and I was like, she looks familiar. But then again, she also looks like my sisters, because my sisters are uh, my sisters are about 10 years younger than me, and my sisters look... Uh, significantly more Hispanic than I am, uh, than I look. And so I was just like, this kind of looks like my sister's. And I'm like, huh. And when Machete Kills came out, I think she, uh, the actress was maybe like 22 or 23 or something like that, because mm-hmm. it was a few years back, and she's like 29 now. I was like, why? Who? And then she turned around, and she's wearing assless chaps, and I went, what the? Because it had all clicked in my head. And I'm like, she looks like this Spy Kids girl. Yeah, she would be. Oh my God! <laughs> and then I got, and I was just revulsed. I was just like, oh. And and Robert Rodriguez, you, you, you were at her wedding. You gave her away. Why are you putting her? What is wrong with you? <laughs> it's like Michael Bay making Megan Fox's character Michaela Baines, oh, which oh, leads me yeah, into yeah. my last movie, Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Now, you could take your pick of the Transformers movies. You can even make an argument for The Last Night, which I have not seen. I the have... first Transformers movie is at least fun. Right. People were really pissed off about Michael Bay taking over the franchise, and pretty much rightfully so. It just took him two movies to get there. Mm-hmm. The first movie, honestly, I, I walked out of the theater and I looked at my watch. I was like, holy shit, it's been three hours mm-hmm. between trailer between the, the trailers at the beginning of the movie and uh, how long the movie actually was. It took about three hours to get to the end. It, that was one of the fastest three-hour experiences of my life. I was, I was just enjoying it. And so when they announced Revenge of the Fallen, I was like, all right, I'm on board. Let's see what happens. If it, as long as it's fun, I don't care. It wasn't even fun. This happened during the writer's strike, and so basically they just they got a draft, and they're Michael Bay's like, I can fill sex jokes in there. We can we can make a movie out of this. Is this uh, the second one, or is this the this third one? This is the second one. Okay, where um, Leonard Nimoy plays a prime. I forget I forget his actual character's name, but they drop a Star Trek line in there. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. There's so many things about this movie that just annoy the shit out of me, and I think the rage for this movie kind of blocks out all the other bad movies. Like I said, I don't remember a lot of them as we've talked about them. This one, I remember so many stupid little details. There's a scene where the mom gets high on brownies. brownies yes. And she, like, just for no reason whatsoever... This this has nothing to do with the movie. They just need to pad the runtime, And so she, like, runs out in the middle of a Frisbee field uh, at Shia LaBeouf's college. And she's like, I, I'll... I'll I'll play, guys. I'll play. And she's acting all sexy. And obviously it's awkward because it's Shia LaBeouf's not attractive mom. And all of and a sudden, uh, the his dad shows up and tackles her. And she just immediately flips a switch. And she goes, I'll do anything for an A. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember that. Just like, oh, my God, dude. Like, that's not even funny. It, 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 the masturbation joke in the first movie wasn't funny. Then there's also the whole kitten calendar thing where he, like, Child Buff has the thing implanted in his brain because some something. Oh, yeah, yeah, Reasons. Yeah. And he's just, like, freaking out about his roommate's kitten calendars and kitten calendar, kitten calendar, kitten calendar. There's the, the SpongeBob bot that ends up humping Megan Fox's leg. There's just so many bad things in this movie. And then the, the icing on the cake for me 
every time this movie, I don't even try to watch this movie, but it seems like the universe hates me. And anytime <laughs> this movie is on and I, I'm clicking through the channels, it's on the same part every damn time. It's where John Turturro is like talking to to the Coast Guard or someone. And he's just like, I'm standing between the robot's testicles. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you get a cheap laugh out of that because I just roll my eyes. No, no, no. I do not get a cheap laugh out of it. I get a laugh out of it because there's only two things of that movie I remember. That That horrible scene... Where he's like, you know, where, you know, where are you? Like, because it's climbing up like a, a pyramid, isn't it? Yeah, yeah they're they're yeah. at one of the great pyramids of Giza. Yeah, and this is an- also after Shia LaBeouf has gone to Transformers Heaven and found out that he is a Prime of because course. now he he has the the MacGuffin that can bring back Optimus Prime. Right. I, I think Optimus Prime dies in this one, or did he die in the third one? I, I think it's I think it was the second one he died. Yeah, he dies in this one. He gets his like head yeah, that's right because they have to transport yeah, him to yeah, the pyramids for some yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and only a prime can kill a prime, and now he's like a super prime. There's only two, really two things I remember about that. One is that movie, uh, that scene. Uh, no, I actually remember three things. Three, <laughs> when they're getting chased in the cars, one of them's a Saturn Astra, which I have one. So I was like, hey, it's an Astra, and then he gets chopped in half, and I'm like, oh, that's sad. Uh, <laughs> the you third, don't want to buy the shitty car. <laughs> well, of course not, because you know, they need a better GM you car. You want the Camaro. Exactly. The, only, the other thing is, the plan of the Decepticons apparently is to create transformers cover them in an exoskeleton have them infiltrate college to go to college with which that's the part that i actually forgot to mention and on the off chance that he's willing to leave megan fox have a hyper aggressive girl i think they were roommates or supposed to be roommates or whatever go to his room and start forcefully raping him yes (laughs) while he complains that she tastes like motor oil god that movie and then of course it turns out she's she's, like people were complaining about optimus prime in transformer what is this the fifth one with the last night uh where that breaks continuity because prime becomes spoiler alert prime becomes good again when he quote-unquote hears bumblebee's voice for the first time since they were on cybertron which is not true because bumblebee speaks at the end of the first one right the whole idea of Transformers is they're robots in disguise. They can only become vehicles, and they can only become objects that are about the same size as they are. That's why we have little RC SpongeBob bot that humps Megan Fox's leg. Right. And all of a sudden, they can create human-like things. They can make a little human Transformer. Uh, no, that kind of completely breaks the concept of Transformers. And then they never went back again. They never they never referenced it again. She like chased him, and then there's a. Uh, and then now I'm remembering because then there's a really bad scene where like. She's like blowing stuff up, and they hide like in a library, and it's Michael Bay holding on on their faces as he tries to apologize to her for, and he didn't even like it, and they're arguing with each other while they're getting blown up, and it's supposed to be kind of cute thing that he's apologizing to Megan Fox about. I didn't wasn't making out with her, I swear. I didn't know what she was. She took she stuck her metal tongue down my throat, and it's like, oh, it's supposed to be cute and endearing, but it's it's obviously unscripted, and Megan Fox's re- reactions are just kind of like, uh huh. I'm kind of mad. Yeah, she's uh-huh. just deadpan. She's, yeah, just, she's big Megan Fox. She has yeah. no emotions. Yeah, no. I think that no. was also the movie where people started freaking out about her toe thumbs. Because there's <laughs> oh, this yeah. one shot where she's like leaning against a rock or a wall and she's got her thumb out really prominently. Yeah. And the internet it. started freaking out like, ugh, Megan Fox isn't hot anymore because she has toe thumbs. Well, that's okay because for Transformers 3, because Megan Fox called uh, Michael Bay Hitler, uh, <laughs> we got an introduction to a new girlfriend for Sam McQuickie. 
and we were introduced to her by a long close-up shot of her ass as she walked upstairs mm-hmm. in white jeans. Which she was a Victoria's Secret model, wasn't she? Yeah, she's a Victoria's and that's that's how Michael Michael Bay directed a Victoria's Secret commercial, and he's yeah. like, I want her in my next movie. We'll even put her in some Victoria's Secret panties just yeah. to make everyone happy. Yeah, which I was like, really? This is your idea of good cinema? Let's introduce the new girlfriend with a long held shot on her butt. Well, you gotta, you <laughs> I gotta watch let the, the audience know she's sexy. How are you gonna do that without showing some ass cheeks hanging out? I don't know. Like I, I said, you could go into any Transformers <laughs> movie and have. A, a giant issue with it. Transformers 3, outside of the stupid Sam Witwicky subplot, at least the, the Battle of Chicago is entertaining. I think... That was that was entertaining, yeah. The buildings falling over and the running through them and all this. That was cool. The, the, the biggest fights. The biggest flaw outside of uh, Destructor having testicles and that joke uh, in Transformers 2, for me, the reason why this is the Transformers movie on my list is because... This is the movie where um, Leonard Nimoy's Autobot turned Decepticon has, like, essentially, he's demoralized Megatron. And so Megan Fox goes and plays mind games with him. And she she's just like, "Are you, you're Megatron. Are you going to let him get away with this? Like, Megatron would not need this from someone. He would be able to see through this manipulation. Yeah. Megatron isn't a mopey little, a mopey little bitch. We'll just say it. <laughs> Obviously, Michael. Obviously, there are a lot of script issues with this. Obviously, Michael Bay is not a good storyteller. No, but there is just so much wrong with this movie, and this is kind of what you get when you get an unchained Michael Bay. Because yeah. again, he, basically all he had was a draft. And he's like, we can just improvise the rest. Well, I guess I should. What my last one is. Now, I really did debate a movie I saw opening weekend in IMAX, which was The Dark Knight Rises, and because I was so disappointed in that. But I think there's a lot of outliers as to why that movie was particularly bad. Um, and why my disappointment was, but I'm going to have to go with a movie that I saw opening weekend that was incredibly packed, uh, even though I showed up like 45 minutes early. Uh, when it, when it, I know it's going to be like a really big movie. I always try to show up a little bit. Uh, I always try to show up between 20 to 30 minutes early because I want to make sure I get my seat. And, yeah. I, I was always, and I was early, and I was with a group of friends. And I remember being super excited for this movie, and that had, you know, uh, around the office, there were friends who were humming the theme song to it because, you know, we're getting the sequel to this amazing movie, uh, to this amazing trilogy, and, and just the hype around it about the, that they had to go and get the actor's costume out of the Smithsonian, the original jacket, hat, and whip out of Smithsonian. And then, you know, Spielberg was just talking about how, oh, you know, I'm going to keep it grounded. We're, you know, we're not going to do a lot of, C- we're not going to do very much CGI. Because only when we, necessary. Yeah, only when necessary. There was controversy because the rumor was for a little while that the, the whip was actually CGI because of contractual obligations and changing standards, and Spielberg had to deny that. Before you get to <laughs> announcing the name of this movie, which obviously most people already know what it is, mm-hmm. I just have to say I was I was very tempted to let you go next, <laughs> like double dip, and then we'll end on Transformers. I'm like, he's not going to be able to beat Transformers. <laughs> There's no way. You beat Transformers <laughs> too, and I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and I just remember the excitement and the, the trailers. They looked interesting, and you know we had um, you know Kate Blanchett's in it, and she was on the rise because she had done the Lord of the Rings movies, and she started picking her stuff. She had been in The Aviator a week, uh, a year or two before the Scorsese film with um, Leonardo DiCaprio, and she, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, and they're kind of answering my questions. Like, are they acknowledging he's older? Yeah, okay, they're acknowledging he's older. Are they going to be out of the 30s? Yeah, they're in the 50s now. Okay, so the bad guys are obviously in the Russians, right? Yeah, they're actually the Russians. And so everything looked so good, and and I was excited about it. And 
there I was watching Indiana Jones 4 and my first memory of it, of getting where I knew things were wrong, was of course the beginning. The very really first well. shot of the movie. No, no. Well, yes. Where the Paramount logo changes to the molehill and, uh, or, or the gopher hill mm-hmm. and the CGI gopher pops out. And I'm like... That's they just a, said it was only going to be when necessary. Yeah, I was like, that's a little weird. But then, of course, there's, they had the great interaction with the with the uh, the 50s vehicles and the teenagers with the military. I'm like, okay, that's going well. I'm fine with this. And Indy being revealed, being had been in the trunk of a car. Okay, cool. That's kind of weird, but okay, we're good with this. And they're, they're doing kind of what they did in, the, in Raiders where like you see his, his shadow. You don't mm-hmm. really see him until he gets the hat on. Yeah. Which, again, very nice. Yeah. Nicely done. Well homage. Yeah, it sells it. And then... They acknowledge his age with the whole chase through the warehouse. They put a little teaser of the Ark of the Covenant. It's actually still locked up there. I'm fine with that. There, and there's the village, the nuclear village, and Indy is Indy in that moment because you know he like he's there, and they realize the test is about to go off, and he's trying to get the Russians to get him out of there, even though he just been beating them all up. I'm like, okay, but then I knew it was going to be bad, and I knew I was, and I knew it was going to be horrible because he hops the in, fridge. he hops into a fridge, and they hold up. I mean, hold up. Full screen, lead lined, and I went, "Huh, that's not how this works." Okay, no, I was fine because I was like, "It's it's heavy." Okay, fine, it won't move. They'll just won't move. Okay, no, but then it did move, and then it's tumbling and tumbling and tumbling, and then it like lands on top of a, a it, hill. It like Looney Tunes. Yeah, and he Looney Tunes out with the old drunken, you know, drunken Harrison Ford. I do admit that the shot of him on top of the hill with the explosion is a very cool shot. It's a very weird shot for Indiana Jones, but his silhouette of that outfit is so strong that putting it in front of that washed out nuclear explosion actually kind of works. But I was sitting there in the theater and I was visibly angry. I was just shaking and quivering. And my wife put her hand on my shoulder and I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. Cause you know, we, I mean, you know, we sometimes hold hands in the movie theater or something like that, but we're just sitting there and I was a, we were a little closer because I didn't get the seat I wanted. But she puts her hand on my shoulder, and she leans over and says, "Please calm down. I don't want to escort you out." <laughs> and I looked at her. I'm like, "What?" And because it's a dark theater, and she and she's like, "You're super pissed off." <laughs> and I'm like, and so I just kind of went, "What do you mean?" And she went, "I can feel your anger." <laughs> I was like, "Okay," and then of course there. And then the rest of the movie goes on. But that is why it's one of my worst movies I've ever seen because I was so betrayed and lied to by the filmmakers leading up to it Yeah, that within the first 25 minutes, I couldn't believe how much denial I was in hoping it would get better. Because then I'm like, okay, okay, I'm going to calm down. I can't leave. I have my wife. I have some friends here with me. We all sat as a big group. Okay, cool. Let, let's see what goes on. And then it just goes on. And everybody's seen this movie. I mean, it made 800 and something million dollars. And the joke uh, the joke about how they made a great Indiana Jones trilogy. And for some reason on the Blu-ray, they throw in a fan film. You know, there's all these great <laughs> jokes about it. Like, oh, it's so nice. We get three movies and a coaster. You know, there's these <laughs> wonderful things. And But here's the thing about it. Is like I have a little brother. My mom had me very young. And so my little brother is like 23 years younger than me. I think he just turned 10. And we were talking about Indiana Jones last time he was actually out here, out here to visit us. Uh, and we were talking about this and stuff and going back and forth. And he kept saying that there's a fourth. And somehow evolved the fourth movie. And I went, and I looked at him and I went, they only made three. And he went, no, there's four. I've seen four. I went, no, 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 there's only three. There's uh, 
you know, there's Indiana Jones, which is renamed. Uh, sorry, there's Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was renamed Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. There's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. They didn't make a fourth one. He was no. There's a fourth one. It's called the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure they. I would have watched that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. He Outside got, of the context of this conversation, <laughs> I refuse to acknowledge that movie because it is so bad. I the only reason I saw this movie in theaters was because my buddy Thomas was going off to boot camp, I believe, or he had come back from boot camp and he was getting deployed. And he basically just gave us the the military guilt trip. I'm off to war. You <laughs> must go see this with me. <laughs> Pretty much. My my buddy Matt went and saw it with us. We had we had heard internet rumors at that point that it was aliens, and we were just like they wouldn't put in aliens in Indiana Jones. I know Spielberg has a fetish for aliens, but they wouldn't do that to Indy. We get into the first five minutes and remember reading on uh, Superhero Hype that Steven Spielberg was on record as saying, we'll only use CGI and green screen and everything when necessary. And that groundhog pops up out of the ground. And I'm just sitting there thinking, that's not necessary. <laughs> and then the rest of the movie happens and I just go, this isn't necessary. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons why this movie. I mean, there's can, a common thread in our two, yeah. our la- our last two movies here too. Oh. Uh, his name is um, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> um, he did not even Steven this one. <laughs> no, I mean we could rehash like where it went wrong. I mean, there's always the the, the rumor that the Frank Darabont script was a much stronger script, but Lucas threw out like parts of it because he didn't like it, and there's a bunch of little things here and there, but. It, most of the reason that I'm just disappointed in the movie is that I feel just betrayed. It, it's just a betrayal of they couldn't keep the continuity quite right. They mm-hmm. couldn't. They couldn't make the look and feel of the, of the movie continue on because there. I mean, even the, I think the first three films are filmed within seven years, and you still do have technology growth. There was still the advent of you know there's a little bit of CGI things here and there and stuff like that of stuff coming along, but. I mean, even if they just, you know, went like a no CGI policy, we're doing this all on camera. I mean, that wouldn't have saved the film. It was just a bad script to begin with. Gosh dang, lead line, zoom up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, nuking the fridge is the new jumping the shark. Uh, Indiana Jones Raiders to Last Crusade came out from 1981 to 1989. Eight years, okay. Oh, they killed Sean Connery. I forgot about that. Yeah, well, I mean, he's retired, so there's not much you can do. And they also killed off, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Yeah, but he had, I believe that uh, actor had Marcus, yeah, Yeah, they killed off Marcus Brody, which, yeah, the the actor, um, Denholm Elliott, who played him, had passed on. But, I mean, they couldn't bring back John Rice davies (laughs) They couldn't bring back, they had to bring in Shia LaBeouf and make him Butch Jones. Right. Uh, I did did enjoy the fact that they... um, kind of went back they brought back marion and made her the love interest and she was still very strong very mm-hmm. very marion they yeah. they nailed her character pretty well again there's so much wrong with this movie uh cape blanchett is basically playing natasha from boris and mm-hmm. natasha and rocky and bullwinkle it's it's just bad all yeah. around there's just no redeeming this movie but the good news is that we actually are getting a fourth Indiana Jones movie rumored to release in 2020. Uh, and Harrison Ford will have successfully killed off his third franchise character. I actually, if Steven Spielberg had goal, I actually would love it if he would say that this is the, then he's like, we're actually titling this movie Indiana Jones 4. <laughs> 
we we shared a video on our Facebook page of Harrison Ford doing an interview with I believe. No, that's the Mark Hamill one. Was British GQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harrison Ford. We have a video of Harrison Ford um, doing an interview with someone. the The video opens with Harrison Ford saying, "The question I get asked the most is, are you planning on rebooting every successful franchise you've ever done?" And he said, "Hell yeah, I am." In in my post of that, I said the the proper phrasing of that Harrison is, "Are you planning on killing off every <laughs> successful character you've ever had?" <laughs> Hell yeah, he is. He said that he wanted Indy to die. He said that he wanted Harrison Ford to die after Empire. I'm Han sure Solo. he. Yeah, Harrison. He, he's Harrison Ford. Uh, he wanted Han Solo to die in Empire, and obviously he got his wish in The Force Awakens, and uh, Deckard. He, Deckard, I'm sure he wanted him to die, or at least he wasn't expecting a sequel to be made. And so I'm sure it was in his contract that if I'm coming back as Deckard, I'm dying. So spoiler alert for a movie that we haven't seen yet, Deckard's going to die. <laughs> Harrison Ford just wants to kill off all of his characters. So that way he doesn't have to work and he just gets his royalties for syndication. I'm really, really hoping if that's true that we uh, we get Air Force One too. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, here's the one I would actually find interesting. Uh, he... Oh, dang it! What was the character's name? Clear and present danger. Jack Ryan, I think. Yeah. Um. I, the. Um. Oh, jeez. You keep going on your yeah, thought. Yeah. Jim to... from a uh, Jim from the office. Yeah. Is doing the Amazon. John Krasinski. Yeah. He's uh he's doing that is Amazon Prime series. Now I'm really hoping based on that interview that they show Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan dying and then say like 50 years ago and close up on Jim <laughs> from the office. <laughs> Uh, Chris Pri- Chris Pine was in a, a Jack Ryan movie. I forget the name of it, but it actually wasn't bad. Um, Keira Knightley played his wife. It was kind of a, a Jack Ryan origin story, which I'm sure they were trying to make a franchise out of it. Yeah, it was actually called Jack Ryan. Was it Jack? Well, <laughs> yeah. it was. Uh, he made a Jack Ryan movie. No, it was no a, way. Written directed by Kenneth Branagh. Oh, okay. Who was also the bad guy in the movie? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was a very forgettable movie. <laughs> A little bit. I mean, yeah. it's, it's Chris Pine, so you have that charisma, mm-hmm. and you, you remember certain things, like the scene where he he and Keira Knightley have together where he's like revealing that he's actually a, like a secret agent. Mm-hmm. That's a good scene. I remember very distinctly Keira Knightley sitting on the couch, uh, or the be- sitting on the bed in the hotel room, just talking about how he's been lying, and he's just like, I'm on a mission right now. We can't really be doing this. It's, it's a fine movie. It's fun. I think I bought it for my dad for Father's Day one year. I think Harrison Ford is planning on killing off every successful character that he can that can be resurrected for a new movie right now. Whatever. More power to him. He's making a payday and he's killing off characters so he doesn't have to come back and work and <laughs> doesn't have to have fans talk about him. I think he, he showed up for Star Wars Celebration this year. That was super awkward just because you could tell he did not want to be there. Uh, yeah. I, if the internet rumors are true... He Which only, they always are. Yeah, he, he came back. He came back and did Star Wars Seven, so that they could kill him off because he really wanted to do Indy Five. And I'm betting that he's just kicking around uh, Disney Studios and they roll him out for Star Wars stuff. But the second that movie's in the can, I, I he never shows up to a Disney thing again. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he he'll never show up to a Disney thing, a Star Wars thing, uh, an Indiana Jones thing. He's just gonna. I think he's still with Callista Flockhart. They'll just go and fly around in his plane until he finally crashes it and they don't walk out of it. He and Manali McBeal on their ranch in Montana or wherever <laughs> it is he lives. Well, 
that actually lasted a lot longer than I thought it would. Um, we appreciate you sticking through this awfulness. Um, it <laughs> seems like a great episode for a new hope episode. Exactly. Uh, pun, it's episode four. Oh, dang it, that's right. You mentioned that earlier. <laughs> Damn my bad memory. Comes, comes full circle. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you coming along on this uh, awful ride with us. Mm-hmm. Next week we'll probably have another themed episode just because uh, there's nothing really happening in the next week. There's nothing really significant coming out. Kingsman will be a week old, so I don't really want to review a week old movie. Yeah, we could mention it. Yeah, we can talk about it a little bit, but I that's think, assuming I have the time to go watch it. Uh, I think next week it's either uh, American Made, the Tom Cruise movie, uh, biopic movie. Yeah, no thank you. Oh, actually, I'm actually excited about that. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Facebook and YouTube, Talking Smack. Smack is spelled S-M-A-C, superheroes, movies, animation, comics. We haven't gotten into comics too much. Maybe that'll be something that we'll do next week. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at T-Smack, Talking Smack Pod, not T-Smack, that's Gmail. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Talking Smack Pod. Smack again is S-M-A-C. You can email us at T-Smack Pod. If you want, us, you want to send us your worst movies ever, we m- will share those gladly. Uh, we, we enjoy the conversation. Maybe it's something we missed. Um, but again, you can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore Scar. Scar is spelled S-K-A-A-R. Alex isn't on no. a lot of social media so we're not gonna pimp out his stuff alex thanks again for being on yep i'm and very happy to be here um just one question did you get the mp3 i sent you of the new remix of the theme song as long as it's not the dubstep okay no it, it isn't um this one was written by our friend Geralt. he's really good at this stuff <laughs> and with that cue the theme music